is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Townsend Teague. Townsend has been on the show two other times. Links to those episodes will be in the bio. He shares a fantastic insight to the closure of Broadway and the reopening of it. We talk about all of the aspects regarding the pandemic, Broadway, and of course, himself. So I hope you enjoy the first half of this conversation with Townsend Teague. Enjoy. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me for a very special part three on Zoom, Townsend Teague. Townsend, thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You you join the ranks of but maybe one other person who has done more than two parts on this show. So I'm excited to have a part three here with you. And we're going to talk about a lot. I, I have to say I was I was a bit surprised by your ask because I thought, well, what more can I possibly have to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all about to find out. I want to jump right into this with you. Uh, we've talked about so much of your life and what you've been doing and your views on theater, and it's they're very interesting. And I will tag these episodes in the profile this one because I think everyone should listen to all three parts in order. Uh, but I want to talk about the pandemic for you right now, and let's go back 11 months as well. How have you handled this pandemic personally? staying positive and moving forward? Okay. I, um, staying positive and moving forward, let, let's go back 11 months. Um, just a, a brief recap of the, the initial anxiety and the, uh, a lot of unknowns about something was a buzz in New York City um, that, uh, and again, I'm in New York City now. Um, that's where I was 11 months ago. Um, my wife, her job is with a large uh, media slash publishing company, and they have employees that travel overseas. And I remember about two weeks before Broadway shut down last March that her office um, was beginning to send employees to work from home um, because they had had a, a, a team, and I hope I'm getting this correctly, return from Italy uh, where they were observing at that time um, the uh, coronavirus uh, beginning to really have an effect on that population. And so my wife's company decided to um, send people home for what they described would be maybe a week or a couple weeks um, just until they had more information. Um, I actually jokingly posted on uh, one of the social media platforms a photo of my wife at her at-home work desk um, was something to the effect of how I thought it was cute that we were going to get an extra, you know, tax write-off um, from her working at home. And little did I know, haha, um, that here we are, almost a year later, doing the same thing. Um, so I, you know, I I think that's how I personally first started to wonder and become concerned about. Um, what ultimately became the coronavirus pandemic um, reaching New York City and eventually spreading across the United States. Um, the, the first couple months, now I, I'll just be honest with you, the, the first couple months were, um, were, were very, very challenging. Um, about two weeks, or no, rather the Friday before the week when Broadway shut down, I was with some industry colleagues uh, having dinner at uh, a restaurant called Joe Allen. And we were speculating on, you know, is this a thing? Is it not a thing? And I was expressing, you know, I, I, I think it could maybe be a thing. Um, and 
I do recall at the table, you know, someone being more optimistic, saying, you know, I, you know, I just don't, I don't think it's going to be that bad, et cetera. Um, but boy, boy, did things shift quickly. And so when Broadway shut down on, I want to say it was around March 12th, um, at that time, we were told the industry was going to shut down for one month. And really what happened was there was on the one part a scramble of um, do companies keep people employed or not? Um, I think the general consensus at that time was to, if you were working on a show, uh, to look at some of the um, kind of layoff structures that are allowed in collective bargaining agreements, um, really only for touring companies, but how some of that language might be able to uh, be uh, borrowed for a, for a pause, if you will. Um, and the non-show businesses, which there are so many, um, at that time, I believe, sent people home to work and uh, generally kept people on payroll. Because if you're coming back in 30 days, well, you really need to be ready to just hop right back in and go. And one of uh, our industry colleagues named Daisy, uh, Damian Bazadona, um, he, he put together a, a group that began a, a conversation online on Zoom um, that eventually... Uh, ballooned into a much larger number of people um, that I want to say two or three weeks after the shutdown was the first call. And I remember Damien did a survey where he asked Broadway industry colleagues, when do you think your shows will be back up and running? Um, and the, the majority of responses, I believe, uh, were pretty optimistic um, in terms of, you know, being pretty soon. Um, Fast forward to later in the spring into the early summer of 2020, um, those same surveys were, were showing a different story um, as individuals were collecting information from different areas that we had folks that were, um, you know, from different international markets that were now participating in those calls um, and that we had also, um, added some layers of uh, folks participating in the call that were from other industries adjacent to Broadway, um, some uh, technology-based companies that uh, were tracking consumer sentiment and behaviors, um, et cetera. And at a certain point, I think we, we understood that this was gonna be a much longer um, and more painful um, experience for the industry as a whole. Um, and so that's when we began to see um, mass layoffs, um, furloughing, um, and really trying to batten down the hatches for these organizations simply to survive um, so that they could be around for all of our benefit um, when Broadway would eventually return. And, and for that matter, theater in general, right? Anything that yeah. was live. Um, and uh, to be clear, film and television at that time also, and museums and other um, uh, arts and culture uh, companies uh, and employers were, were also um, experiencing the same kind of death rattle that live, live events were experiencing. So for me personally, I think I had shared with you, and we've talked about this before, the, the topic of burnout. Um, and I, I, to be clear, did not experience what I would call career burnout. 
um, but I uh, experienced um, an overload of, of intake of, uh, of, of media. Um, I, I really felt like I wanted to make sure that right when Broadway was ready to come back, I would not be missing a beat, that I would be current at all times. And so for the first you know, two or three months, I found myself consuming upwards of five hours of reading a day um, of everything I could get my hands on. Um, I had created a document where I was um, tracking um, different categories and things like that. And um, in full disclosure, it just completely burns me out because the worldview became that um, it, this, this pandemic was going to just decimate um, our industry um, and for how long and at what toll um, was, was yet to be known. Um, and at the same time, I was realizing that there was becoming a redundancy um, of, of information. And so what did I do? I really felt the best thing for me was to give myself permission to scale back um, and to say, you know, it's not healthy to be reading five hours worth of articles a day. Um, let's take this back to maybe like, you know, one to two hours of reading a day and then scale that back to maybe like 30 minutes to an hour um, because why this, this term of what's called new normal started to play out now prior to, uh, me experiencing what I would call new normal, people were throwing around that slogan or, you know, new normal, new normal. And it felt a little bit distant for a while, but I believe that I saw a pivot into new normal where we realized that our business models were going to need to change um, either temporarily um, or permanently in some cases, um, that our approach to how we um, engage with ourselves, with our fellow uh, um, business colleagues, um, and eventually again with consumers uh, was going to need to adapt and change, et cetera. And that truly became the new normal. Um, so that was my experience to, you know, in a long way, answer your question about what was the kind of initial onset of the pandemic like for me personally. Now, the recording of this conversation is February 17th, Wednesday, the day after Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras coming, <laughs> or what's left of it in this year. I uh, Just so people understand the conversation we're having at the date, because things change so quickly. I want to look a little bit towards the future, if you will, and projections, thoughts, ideas on the vaccinations coming out, what that could look like for a reopening of Broadway, maybe what you're hearing, and, and what you see the future, the near future to look like in terms of live theater. Great question. Um, so Broadway's currently off sale through May 30th of 2021. Um, that said, most producers um, are targeting uh, late summer to early fall uh, for reopening their shows. Uh, again, that that's a target date. Right. And I believe that the president had a, um, a town hall last night where he had uh, been asked the question about where do you, or rather, when do you believe what is your goal for um, vaccination in the general population in, in the United States? Um, and he had set a goal for July. 
Um, and so I, um, you know, kind of taking that information and pairing it with a couple things, consumer sentiment, um, namely questions that have been put out in surveys, i.e. Um, when live theater resumes, um, how likely are you to return um, immediately? Uh, will you wait 30 days? Will you wait a, you know, a couple months or, or longer than that? Um, and so that gives us some information about um, if general population will have received vaccination, you know, I think as you had pointed out before the call, um, those that uh, take up uh, and receive uh, the vaccination, at least to a point that enough people um, have, uh, ha have received the vaccination in the country, um, at that point, we get to the new kind of like, what does it look like in terms of sentiment? Um, so what am I encouraged by and what am I discouraged by? I think um, what, what's encouraging is that in surveys, um, uh, a lot of people are very uh, much ready to return to live theater when it's safe. Um, in addition to that, um, over 50% of people in a recent uh, survey that was done by uh, Google Analytics had stated that they anticipated paying uh, the same um, or slightly more um, than they did uh, pre-pandemic for tickets um, and attending the same number of performances per year as they did pre-pandemic. Um, so it's encouraging to me that at this point, even with a lot of unknowns, that there uh, is an express willingness to return to live events. That's incredibly important for the industry um, and for the, the workers um, and businesses who are, are looking at those dates. Um, the last thing that we wanna do is reopen too early um, and have to shut down again. Um, it is financially and in other ways very painful uh, to do that. Um, we watched our colleagues in the West End go through that experience uh, this uh, past winter in December. Um, and to imagine the if you're in rehearsal, uh, coming back with your company for X amount of weeks and getting ready to reopen and then being told that that's in fact not going to take place. Uh, very difficult for the workers um, and very difficult from a financial perspective. And you had brought up in a conversation we had what seems like years ago, it was months ago, about the amount of time from when a start date is set and how much has to lead up to that from OSHA standards, equity standards of just health and safety of the sets and machinery. And I had a conversation the other day with a good friend of mine down here about how certain industries have literally closed because they produce parts. They make literal physical machinery, mechanical parts for Broadway shows that are not buying those parts. And now those companies have otherwise closed or pivoted. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that trickle down. So you're, you're, you're right in that observation. Um, there, are, there are companies that have laid off hundreds of people um, that are not based in New York City, that are suppliers of goods and services to Broadway and, and touring Broadway productions. Um, as far as the ramp up period is concerned, at this point, if you think about a show that was open um, when the when the shutdown began, that the that physical production has been sitting um, for at this point a year, and I believe you and I have talked about before that 
so much is uh, is automated now um, that the the deck systems uh, that that move the the scenery back and forth, um, the lighting systems, etc. Um, having all of those sit, um, I guess, cold, if you will, for this amount of time um, involves not only reteching that production um, in what's called dry tech, which is where you're running the production without any actors on the stage, um, but likely also involves taking a lot of that stuff down um, to look at it and make sure that it is, on the one hand, operational and uh, equally safe to operate. Um, and so, I do believe that there's a period uh, wherein productions will have their crews going back into shops with equipment um, to uh, refurbish um, and uh, doing that for some time prior to, which can absolutely occur while a cast is rehearsing. Mm -hmm. um, but most productions have uh, anticipated that uh, just basically on what the, show itself needs that they'll need six to eight weeks um, from a, a go date that people can return to working together um, in, in the same place. Um, and then the other big thing, uh, which we have to call attention to is the marketing aspect about these shows are opening just cold with respect to from a ticketing position. So recall that after Broadway announced its, its first uh, closing date, which would be a month, and then subsequently for a longer period of time, that tickets for future performances were uh, eventually fully refunded mm -hmm. um, to patrons. And so these shows, whether they are an existing big mega hit show or a new play that had just opened or was about to open, et cetera, um, do not have... Um, uh, money, so to speak, in the box office, and they need time to to build that up. So th that also has to be a really big part of, uh, of the return. We do know from the Broadway League that they are planning as they did um, after the terrorist attacks of uh, September 11, 2001, um, a uh, an industry-wide coordinated campaign for the reopening of Broadway when that, um, when that date is known. Um, and I think, whereas it's created some frustration on the part of many, um, it's, it's hard to disagree with, um, uh, well, whereas you do want to keep Broadway top of mind, you don't wanna spend your entire budget on that kind of effort um, without having an actual reopening date known because mm -hmm. uh, you don't want it to be kind of like, you know, a, a lost endeavor. A good friend and colleague of mine, Drew Desky at DDM Productions NYC, posed this thought with me of gridlock happening when shows return. Can all shows return at the same time? What shows would return? Any new shows? What do you have any views on the idea of gridlock <laughs> with entertainment and what that could look like with with theater? So you brought up the point of, of businesses that have gone um, either out of business or have uh, gone dormant for this time, um, whether in New York City or not. And that's a good sector to um, to bring up when we talk about gridlock, because it's not uncommon that a wig supplier or a sound equipment supplier um, or a wardrobe shop 
is building for many, many productions. And the, the, the season by which productions typically open throughout the year, um, there, there are really three seasons within the seasons um, that I guess would be cycles of, of when shows open. Um, and to have every show reopen at the same time, to me, sounds incredibly exciting. Um, logistically, however, um, I think that Drew Desky makes a good point. Um, that, that observation um, has been discussed um, both internally at the Broadway League and um, with the press about um, potentially a rolling schedule to accommodate, on the one hand, the, the vendors and companies that, uh, that I just mentioned, um, on the other hand, rehearsal space within the city. Um, rehearsal space is always challenging um, to come by. Um, I think it would blow people's minds that some Broadway shows uh, will rehearse in the basement of churches. Like that's how limited Broadway space, uh, rehearsal space can be um, in a normal season. Mm. And on the other uh, part is going back to the consumer and the, the traffic flow of people congregating. Now, if we're gonna role play that we're not reopening until there's mass vaccination in the population, um, that potentially becomes less of a, a concern and so therefore less of a priority. Um, but I, I have been involved in discussions um, earlier um, going back, back months from this point, which revolved around um, not only staggering when the shows reopen, but, but potentially also staggering the curtain start times for shows to allow for less congestion on the streets. Um, if you look at some of the really high congestion areas of say 45th street um, between Broadway and 8th Avenue um, that have many, many theaters, um, there are discussions taking place about whether or not curtains should open at 7, 7.30, 8 and 8.30 potentially to um, uh, have uh, less uh, people on the streets. Um, so in, in normal times, those streets are packed. And if we're going to add to that, um, taking people's temperatures before they enter the venue, um, the normal human interaction that takes place between, um, you know, what happens if someone, uh, if their temperature is over and they need to step out of the line and whatever viewpoints may be expressed around that. Um, these are the kinds of things that can delay uh, re-entering the venue or entering, I guess, for that person's case. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, listen, that that's that's being talked about for the reasons I've described and what, what you're mentioning uh, that Drew brought up to you. Yeah, I, uh, I want to talk about some of these shows that closed and what the future of theater could look like because okay. the finances are changing <laughs> just strictly with this. Are they going to be 50% capacity? What does the future look like? And since, you know, to date, I think we have mean girls is closed on Broadway. Frozen is closed on Broadway. And there's a lot of these big shows, you know, Moulin Rouge is gigantic and that'll be coming back. I imagine. 
And what does the future look like in terms of shows that are mounted? Are we going to have more of these movie musical situations? You know, is it still jukebox, we think, just from a numbers standpoint? Are we looking at more come from a ways, you know, something a little more smaller, something, or does it not, is that not even a factor? Well, I do think it's a factor. Um, You had mentioned Frozen and Mean Girls. I I believe there was uh, two plays also, uh, The Hangman. Um, and, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, um, that either, you know, did not open or, um, uh, or were in previews and, and announced that they would not, uh, continue forward. Um, so you had mentioned like, let, let's break this into a couple different things, uh, if we can, um, shows that were already open, um, and then new shows, because I do think that, um, it's, it's a worthy discussion to uh, break those into two different segments um, before kind of like merging into the future overall. I, I look at for shows that are um, that were already open. Um, there's a couple areas that I'm looking at. One of that is like financial considerations. Um, and I think it's, it's worth bringing up uh, federal grants um, and loans um, grants being through um, stimulus, um, through the more recent Save Our Stages Act, um, loans that are available for uh, payroll protection um, for the businesses um, that are not the shows themselves. Um, I'm also looking at insurance coverage and claims, um, the effect of how insurance um, has or has not um, played a part in the the business of shows that were already open. Um, there are tax credits that I think are worthy of uh, of putting into consideration, um, and uh, and then also there has been a revised um, uh, understanding put out by the Securities and Exchange Commission about um, accredited investors. Um, thereby the, the pool of people that um, are able to invest in Broadway shows, um, those being private, um, run by private businesses. So from a financial perspective, um, the, the, if we look at Save Our Stages Act, which is actually a section within a larger bill, um, that program uh, was from my understanding, initially got off the ground by what uh, by independent um, venue operators, not just within the theatrical space, but in you know rock and roll um, and um, and other you know small venues throughout the country, and it morphed into thankfully to include uh, the presenters and promoters and operators of venues uh, across the country, um, and then eventually. Uh, included also producers um, who have production companies um, and then extending into arts and culture, which does mean that more people are able to go after um, uh, grants from this source includes museums, um, uh, motion picture houses for, for film. Um, so the, it, it's pretty wide in terms of who can apply for grants, but essentially um the, the intention is to, my understanding, the language is written to support small to medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? It means that 
large theater owner operators that are operating in multiple countries or in, for instance, over 10 states um, or who employ over 500 people. Um, the Save Our Stages Act um, allocation is not available to them. Um, so I think that certain feeder owners and operators being able to sustain themselves through this pandemic in order to um, be there for us uh, when it's time to return um, is, is very important. Um, tax credits. So New York State has a tax credit um, for theatrical productions in, its ups, uh, in what's called upstate. Um, in cities like Utica, Rochester, um, Syracuse, Schenectady, there's a few more. Um, I, I started working on uh, publicity um, and lobbying efforts um, around that legislation in 2013. Um, and it was written into law in 2014. And essentially what it does is if a production uh, does its tech and opens um, in one of those venues, they can apply to receive a tax credit of up to 25% of their capital budget. Um, now there's a cap on it, um, but even with the cap, um, that tax credit can be substantial. Um, it's important because uh, as a theatrical producer, it's a conversation point with investors wherein we can talk about um, that theater is finally um, receiving a degree of recognition um, that film and television um, receive with respect to the ability to apply for tax credits, um, noting that that is taking place because it's a job creator and puts money into local economies. So right. Governor Cuomo recently proposed that New York City um, have a similar tax credit for shows um, that are reopening in, in, in the city. And this has not occurred before. So to give you an idea, the upstate tax credit that's available for an entire year is $4 million. It's not a lot of money. It's first come, first serve, not when your show opens, but when you apply, um, that kind of like gets you in the, in the, in the wait list. Mm. Um, what, what the governor has proposed is that the fiscal uh, budget for the upcoming year um, for New York State include a $25 million allocation for shows opening in New York City. And so I think the combination of being able to apply for federal grants um, and uh, applying for tax credits um, to relaunch or hopefully knock on wood, open a new show, because I think that that should also be part of the equation right. in New York City, the ability to apply for that credit um, would be substantial. Now, there's a caveat, which is that um, this is a proposal. It has not been passed. Um, the state budget has to be... Um, uh, agreed upon by April 1st. So I certainly have that date in my calendar. And the governor has said that it's contingent on New York State receiving um, a, a federal aid in the amount of $15 billion to make up for a, a deficit in the state caused by the pandemic. So, you know, we shall see. Right. And then I think just to like kind of round this out on, on the insurance side is that The insurance, I think we should focus on and and just, you know, to to be clear, theatrical productions 
apply for and receive coverage in like many areas of insurance, um, workers' comp, unemployment, um, health insurance, um, disaster insurance, um, and you know general liability, et cetera. And the one that I want to focus on is called business interruption insurance. And with business interruption, generally, if you think about like your health insurance and um, you have a deductible mm. and business interruption generally works the same, um, but I don't believe that we've ever anticipated a shutdown of this period. And so just by way of example, let's say for some reason your Broadway show shut down for one week and just like your health insurance, you had a deductible, which said that the producer had to absorb the loss of the first three performances. That's their deductible. Yeah. And then after that, the insurance company will come in and pay uh, out a, a claim to the, the company, uh, uh, a percent of what they would have collected in box offices for those closed performances. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to be closed indefinitely, that's a, a more challenging conversation to have. Yeah. But what we have seen, Clay, is there's a discrepancy wherein there are some productions that were running in New York City or in previews in New York City that have successfully received insurance payouts of upwards of eight or nine million dollars. And they hadn't even, you know, think about a show that was fully capitalized, hmm. has not opened, and has received an eight or nine million dollar insurance payout. Now, these productions per their producers do intend to reopen. Um, that I believe, and I'm not uh, an accountant, um, but I believe that that cannot be recorded as a net proceed. And so essentially there, there are, are many entities that will make rightful claims to um, uh, parts of the, that insurance money that's been collected yeah. and what is left over essentially becomes a capital reserve. Right. And so there are some productions that I believe will actually enter an opening period where in normal circumstance, they may have only had the equivalent of 10% of their capital budget um, some less in capital reserves, but now they have this giant reserve. And so what does that mean? It's, it means potentially there's going to be this art, you know, artificial um, market um, mechanism whereby a show would be able to absorb losses um, in weekly operating expenses for an extended period of time because they have this insurance money to draw down on um, uh, against um, their... Uh, against whatever the difference might be between their true costs um, and what they're bringing, bringing in in the box office. I think that's really important because it's expected that not only will the um, audience be uh, at less than 100% capacity, but that there may need to be a, a reduction in ticket pricing um, to incentivize people to return to the theater. So just to finish up insurance, I think there, there is, um, there's something that I look at, which is um, that producers are telling me that I speak with that um, a lot of insurance companies, and again, you know, we'll see how this all shakes out, but there's, you know, insurers that are seeing we're getting out of the theatrical business altogether because this loss that we've just absorbed, um, how do we, how do we insure a company if, if, if a pandemic comes again and the insurer is in a similar situation? 
Um, I think it's a very reasonable concern for an insurance company to have. And what I would point to is the Terrorism Insurance Act that was created in response to the attacks of Mm 9-11 and uh, signed into law in 2002. And essentially what that does is that the federal government backs insurance companies to take over losses sustained due to a future terrorist attack um, after the insurance company has paid out a certain amount. So let me give you an example. Let's say there, you know, there was an attack of that nature and the insurance company was on the hook to pay to a Broadway show $5 million. That way the insurance company knows that's their cap. And after that, the federal government um, steps in and takes over. Now, why is that important? It's important because it allows the marketplace, which we all rely on, um, to continue and to make insurance coverage that we need to be available and accessible at affordable prices. And I think without that assurity from the federal government that they would step in um, in in a future uh, instance um, such as that, then the marketplace um, doesn't know how to accommodate. And I don't want to be a producer of a production that doesn't have insurance coverage for a future pandemic because that feels like a very dangerous roll of the dice over something that I have no control over. Um, the, The good news is that nearly two decades after the attacks of 9-11, that that act has never had to kick in. Um, in order, in order for it to kick in, the secretary of the treasury actually has to certify it as a, as a terrorist attack. Um, and then it kicks in that mechanism. And I would, I would be looking to have something similar, not just for the theatrical industry, but for businesses at large universities, sports arenas, hospitals, what name you to be able to gain that coverage through insurers that also have um, the the backing that I've just described. So the combination of all of that, I think, lends itself to a world where a Broadway production can reopen um, with cash on hand to absorb um, what can be potentially a a challenging couple of years ahead of us as people trickle back into the city. um, And knowing that if if we have to shut down again, um, that they're, they will be able to sustain their business model. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 